0: Good morning. The scripture reading this morning is taken from the book of Mark, chapter 15, verses 16 through 39. Feel free to follow along in your worship guide or in your Bible. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is, the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed, and spitting on him, and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak, and put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who destroy the the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priest with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, my God. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. It is given to us in love, and it is absolutely true.
1: Good morning. Several weeks ago, I shared about my cancer recurrence scare with you guys when I received a false positive on my PSA blood test. And I mentioned several weeks ago that I was surprised to find myself so full of fear and doubts about God. And I told you that I wanted to and I needed to grow in my faith and my trust in Christ. And so since then, I've done a lot of thinking about the root of my fear. And what I've discovered is that I'm not afraid of dying. Like Paul says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. When I die, I'll open my eyes and I'll be with Jesus forever and ever. What I'm afraid of is the suffering that's going to lead up to my death. And as I've thought about this more and more, it's I have a tendency, as you guys know, to beat myself up for fearing and not wanting to suffer. But I believe that suffering and pain isn't God's intent. It never was his intent. You see. God has hardwired us when pain or suffering occurs in the back of our brain a signal goes off, adrenaline hits, and it tells us to run as fast as we can from pain and suffering. Now, example of this, when I was a young uh, child, probably I think I was seven years old, I was curious and I was standing next to my mom and she would be frying chicken on the stove. And the eye was really red. And I loved the fact that it was red. So I would kind of reach for it. And she'd push my hand aside and say, no, you can't touch that. It's hot. And I kept reaching for it. She's like, no, you can't touch that. It's hot. And then she moved the frying pan. And I had my moment. And so I reached out this finger. And I touched that hot eye. Now, immediately, the nerves in my finger went to the back of my brain. The adrenaline said, abort, abort. And I lifted my finger up. And it was just Covered with this huge blister I ran over to the sink I was crying and my mom just kind of looked at me I told you so so And as I think about that and think about the fact that god has hardwired us to avoid suffering and pain It's because suffering and pain isn't God's intent You see god created the garden free of pain and suffering He created Adam and Eve and placed them in the garden not to suffer, but to enjoy the beauty of the place and the intimacy with God and with each other. But as we all know, Adam and Eve, they disobeyed God. And as a result of their disobedience, sin entered our world and suffering entered our world. You see, pain and suffering weren't God's intent. Therefore, it's common for us To want to avoid pain and suffering. But the truth is, all of us in this room are going to suffer. Many of us in this room have already experienced suffering and pain. So the question for us this morning is how do we persevere in the midst of suffering and pain? How do we remain faithful to God in the midst of suffering and pain? Our text this morning provides some answers, and I want to share just two with you. The first is we can maintain faith in the midst of suffering because we have a Savior who is familiar with and present with us in our suffering. And then secondly, we can maintain faith in the midst of suffering because we have a Savior who will one day undo all suffering. Pray with me. Father, we're grateful this morning for the clear skies, the crisp, cool air. It's a taste of what is to come. I think of Adam and Eve walking in the garden in the cool of the day and you coming and walking and talking with them. And Lord, because of Christ in the cool of this morning, you can come and you can walk and talk to us this morning. Lord, I pray knowing that there's people here in this room that are suffering right now. That you would come. That you would speak words of comfort and hope. And Lord, to all of us, may we have ears to hear and eyes to see you this morning. And We pray this in your powerful name. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, you can open to Mark 15 or you can look in your bulletins. And the first thing that we learn from this text is that we can maintain faith in the midst of suffering... Because we have a Savior who is familiar with and present with us in our suffering. As Daniel mentioned last week in Mark 14, we saw that Jesus was suffering at the hands of his friends. As Peter denied him three times. And if betrayal by a friend is not enough pain in and of itself, we see in verses 16 through 20 of chapter 15 that Jesus also suffered at the hands of his enemies. In the ancient Near East, there was great animosity between the Romans and the Jews. And because the Romans had more power, Pilate instructed especially the soldiers to treat people with respect and dignity. And so they went around and had all this pent-up anger in them toward their Jewish people. And so when Pilate had signed off on Jesus' execution, the soldiers saw this as an opportunity. It was an opportunity for them to take out their anger toward all the Jews on this one Jewish man by the name of Jesus. And so we see in verse 16 and following that they created a fake inauguration for Jesus, the king of the Jews. Mark tells us that the battalion of soldiers closed Jesus in a purple cloak. Purple being associated with royalty. And then twisting together a crown of thorns. They put it on him. And then they mocked him. Saluting him, saying, hell, the king of Jesus. And if the emotional turmoil wasn't painful and destructive enough. For Jesus in those moments, they then began to strike him on his head with a reed and they spit on him as they led him out. And then in verses 21 through 32, Mark tells us that the soldiers leading Jesus as he was carrying the cross being through the streets to Golgotha, which was just west of the city where he was to be executed Beside two petty criminals. And as Jesus walked, because he had had sleepless nights, because he had been beaten, because he had had so much emotional turmoil, he couldn't handle the weight of the cross beam. And Mark tells us that he fell to the ground. And then the soldiers, knowing that he couldn't carry the cross beam further, ordered a young Jewish man by the name of Simon of Cyrene. To carry the cross being for him. And certainly Mark telling us this is foreshadowing the command that all those who profess faith in Christ would later have to do the same thing. Taking up our crosses as we follow him. And so slowly and painstakingly, Jesus and Simon made the trek to the place of the skull. Jesus endured jeering from the crowd along the way. And before nailing him to the cross, it was the custom for the soldiers to offer those who were executed wine mixed with myrrh. And that was a painkiller, basically to help the pain of the cross. And while if you and I were standing there that day, we would all have said to him, drink the wine. We would have begged him to do that, to avoid even more suffering. But Jesus, having begged his father the night before to let the cup of wrath pass by him and now obeying his father and drinking from it, he said no. No, no to the medicine so that he might fully embrace the suffering of the cross. And then the soldiers, they stripped Jesus of all his clothes. They stretched out his arms. And they nailed him to the tree. The incredible pain as each nail pierced through his wrist. And then through his ankles. And then finally, they lifted him up on the cross. Jesus the Son of God, between two robbers, one on His left and one on His right. And as Jesus hung there slowly suffocating to death, the crowd continued to mock Him. They said, He saved others. He cannot save Himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Then in verses 33-39, through 39, darkness covered the whole land. And when no one expected Jesus' pain and suffering to get any worse, the most horrific suffering fell on Jesus. You see, for the first time in Jesus' existence, for the first time in Jesus' life, He was separated from His Father's love and presence. The fellowship that He once enjoyed, even through the three years of ministry here on earth, that fellowship was broken. Jesus was in utter darkness. And His Abba, Father, was nowhere to be found. And so He Screams out from Psalm 22, which is about a death of a righteous man. Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which literally translates, "Abba, Daddy, Daddy, why have you abandoned me?" And then, with darkness covering the whole land, and Jesus having suffered at the hands of his friends. At the hands of his enemies, and now at the hands of his own father. Mark tells us he breathed his last and he died. And the Roman soldier standing there watching all this, watching the pain, watching the suffering, he was the first human being to proclaim that Jesus, this man, surely is the Son of God. And as the curtain in the temple tore from top to bottom, signifying that now we have access to the Father because of Jesus' death, Jesus endured the most horrific suffering imaginable. And when it comes to our suffering and pain, there is absolutely nothing, nothing that you or I will ever be asked to endure that Jesus has not already felt and endured. And it's so easy for us, I think, to... to anesthetize ourselves to Jesus' suffering and pain because we talk about it so easily. And I think Mark spends so much time in his Gospel slowing us down because he wants his readers who he knows are going to endure incredible suffering and pain, and he wants us to know and to remember that we have a Savior that suffered emotional pain, physical pain on our behalf. And we have a Savior who is now seated at the right hand of the Father who empathizes with us. The writer of Hebrews says it this way in Hebrews 14, verses 15 through 16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. You see, just as Jesus wept with Martha and Mary at Lazarus' tomb, He weeps with us when we hear the word cancer and our name associated with it. Or when we feel the sting of betrayal from a friend or a family member or a coworker, Or when we feel misunderstood, mocked or ridiculed. Or when we suffer the death of a loved one. Or when we feel the pain of abuse or the loneliness that settles in in the darkness of the night. Let your hearts be comforted so that you and I might stand firm in the midst of suffering and pain. Mark reminds us that we have a Savior who understands us, who empathizes with us, who loves us, who is familiar with all of our suffering. But the beauty of Christ is not only is He familiar with all of our suffering, He promises to be present with us In the midst of our suffering. You see, Jesus was abandoned by His Father in His darkest hour. So that He might be present with you and with me in the midst of our darkest hours. And His gift of presence gives us endurance and allows us to persevere. I can remember years ago reading Elizabeth Elliot's book called Loneliness. And as I was reading the book, Elizabeth Elliot and Jim Elliot, they went out to preach the gospel to the Aka Indians. As many of you know, Jim and a few men went to greet the Indians and they were all murdered. Elizabeth and her daughter were spared. And as she's writing this book, she's talking about the incredible pain and suffering at the loss of her first husband. But the truth is, she also lost her second husband, and then she lost her third husband. This was a woman who was deeply familiar with suffering and pain. And as she writes in the book, one of the things that helped her in the midst of understanding and experiencing this pain was knowing that her Savior was familiar with her suffering. But then she also writes that she could endure with faith because she believed with all her heart that Jesus was present with her through the death of Jim, the death of her second husband, the death of her third husband, and then having to endure Dementia and Alzheimer's until her death. You see, we can maintain faith in the midst of our suffering because we have a Savior who is familiar with all of our suffering. And we have a Savior who is present with us in the midst of our suffering. He knows exactly what you and I are going through. And he empathizes with us and he intercedes on our behalf and he sent the Holy Spirit to be with us. And let me just say one word. That in the midst of our suffering, most of us. We move away from people. We isolate ourselves. I know that. It's hard to believe as an extrovert. That's my tendency in the midst of suffering is to pull away and to weep by myself. But I believe that He has called us to be in community so that we can be the Father to one another, so that we can be Jesus' hands and feet, that we can be His mouthpiece, reminding one another, that we have a Savior who empathizes with us. We have a Savior who is with us, That who, has, who hasn't abandoned us. The greatest gift that you and I can give to one another is the gift of our presence. Because if we profess faith with Christ, wherever we are, Christ is there. And I can tell you from my own struggles the past two weeks that I would not have been able to endure that weekend when I thought my cancer had come back if I didn't have the gift of the presence of this community who immediately came to my house and wept with me and loved me, took me to a soccer game, took me to dinner, and was with me through that. And if I need that, you need that, and we need one another. So, the first thing we learn from our text this morning is that we can maintain faith in the midst of suffering because we have a Savior who is familiar with and present with us in our suffering. And then secondly, we learn that we can maintain faith in the midst of our suffering because we have a Savior who will undo all our suffering. The good news of the gospel is that not only that we know the beginning of the story, the good news of the gospel is that we know the end of the story. In chapter 16, Mark tells us that Jesus was raised from the dead. And next week, John Freeman's going to unpack that for us. But we know the truth. We know that Jesus Christ is alive. And John tells us in Revelation 21 that one day he will come again to consummate his kingdom. John tells us that Jesus will come and he will make all things new. He will restore all the brokenness in our world. He will establish his kingdom forever and ever. He will dwell with his people forever and ever. And he promises to undo all pain and all suffering. Tim Keller, in his book Reason for God, says this. The biblical view of things is resurrection. Not a future that is just a consolation for the life we never had, but a restoration Of the life you always wanted. This means that every, every, every horrible thing that has ever happened will not only be undone and repaired, but will in some way make the eternal glory and joy even greater. At the end of the return of the king, Samwise Gamgee, he discovers that his friend Gandalf wasn't dead as he thought, but was alive. And Sam cries out, I thought you were dead. And then he says, but I thought I was dead myself. And then he asks Gandalf, is everything sad going to come untrue? Is everything sad going to come untrue? And for those of us who profess faith in Christ, we can say with confidence, that the answer to Sam's question is yes. Everything sad is going to come untrue. And though a mystery, Keller says, it will be greater for having once been broken and lost. You see, knowing the end of the story provides great hope for us in the midst of our present pain and suffering. And sometimes we get a glimpse of the redemption of our pain this side of heaven. But for others of us, we don't have any glimpse of that redemption. But when Christ comes again, those glimpses will become full reality. We will cry out because we will see that all our sadness, all our pain has been undone. And we will cry, holy, 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 Lord God almighty who was and is and is to come. You see, those of us who profess faith in Christ, we have a hope. And this hope will sustain us in the midst of all our pain and all our suffering. I was driving last week to go see a friend. And this friend's wife Just found out that she has cancer and they're going to have to do um, chemo and radiation. And we were talking over lunch, but on the way to lunch, uh, I was listening to NPR and uh, they were interviewing Jimmy Jackson. I didn't know who Jimmy Jackson was. He um, was part of a gospel group called the Blind Sons, the Blind, let me see what it's actually called, the Blind Boys of Alabama. And they were asking Jimmy just, you know, about the, the gospel choir and singing all these years and what it was like. And he was kind of he's in his late 70s. He was playing all that. And I was sitting there thinking, OK, the question that I'm longing for them to ask is how did Jimmy reconcile his blindness with his faith in God? How did he reconcile that, that a good, powerful God would allow him to be blind? And so toward the very end of the interview, the reporter asked him that very question. He said, "How did you how did you make sense of this? How do you worship and sing about this God when you're blind?" And he said, "You know that's a great question. And when I was a young man, I used to really, really ask God why, why, why am I blind?" He had five brothers. And none of them were blind. But he was born blind. And he said he really struggled. And it was difficult being blind. But then as he grew and matured in his faith, he came to realize two things. The first, he realized that God had called him and given him this gift of blindness so that he might, in turn, go out and sing of God's grace and His mercy and His goodness all around the world. into many presidents. And that gave him comfort. But the second thing that gave him comfort. Was he realized that the moment that he passed away. He would fall into his Savior's arms. And he would open his eyes. And for the first time in his life. The first person that he would see. Would be Jesus Christ. all the pain and suffering that He had endured would be undone. And He would be able to see. This is our hope. This is your hope. This is my hope. This is the hope that we're going to have to remind each other of. Because we so easily, easily forget in the midst of pain and suffering. I don't know what the future holds for me, for you. I'm praying more specifically every day for 0.000 on my PSA levels. Uh, And I don't say for the rest of my life. Now I say for the next 40 years, hoping that I live 40 years. But regardless. Because we live in a fallen world. Suffering will find you if it hasn't already found you. But we can stand firm. Knowing that our Savior is familiar with everything that you're feeling. Every doubt that you're experiencing. Everything that you and your loved one is going through, He has already been through. And He is present with you. And not only is He present with you, He gives us a hope. A hope of knowing that when He comes back to consummate His kingdom, He will undo All our pain and suffering. And we will be with him forever and ever and ever. This is the good news of the gospel. And this is the good news of this table that we are going to celebrate this morning. Because this table is a visible demonstration of Mark 15. Of Jesus' suffering. And it's open to all who profess faith in Christ. But it's not only a table that demonstrates his brokenness and his suffering. It's a table that a a table of hope because one day we're all going to come together. All those around the world are going to come together and we're going to gather at the banquet table and we will feast with him forever and ever.